What's up, everyone? This is the Nuts and Bolts podcast, and I'm your host, the one James, here with our lovely co-host, Airball. Hey, everyone. And Michael Kritz. What it do? And we're here to give you the nuts and bolts of the standard and pioneer formats each and every week for your listening pleasure. And maybe you'll learn a thing or two along the way. Let's start off by introducing ourselves. I'll start with you, Airball. Who are you? I am a Magic player who's very good at bubbling out of top eights. I've been playing since uh, the Guild of Ravnica format, but really took it seriously during the pandemic. Uh, you can find me at AirballMTG on Twitter, Twitch, and everywhere else. Michael Kritz, who are you? Hi, yes. Uh, my name is Michael Sinclair II. That's my actual name. But uh, I'm a professional uh, TTRPG performer, a Magic the Gathering semi-pro and personality, and a voiceover actor. I started playing Magic the Gathering during War of the Spark block and have quickly got into Standard, Pioneer, Commander, and Modern recently. And uh, yeah, just loving all this stuff. And I get asked to be part of content all over the YouTubes and uh, podcast stuff. And so I'm here today to talk about magic. Excited to be here. You know who else likes to talk about magic? I do. I'm the one, James, and I'm your host. And here's a little bit about me. I started playing magic in Amonkhet, uh, played off and on all the way up until today. Um, if I, I love Oko, so I played all, all the way through that. I love Oko decks. Anyways, I'm a mid-range player at heart. I'm a YouTuber. I'm a Twitch streamer. I stream Magic the Gathering Arena. And we're here to start off with the draw step, where we're going to talk about one of the reasons why we're called the Nuts and Bolts, and it's talking about some Magic the Gathering jargon. And I'm going to kick it off to Michael Kritz to explain a little bit about this. Go ahead. Yeah, so uh, very passionate about uh, doing this topic for this podcast. Uh, jargon are lots of the sayings that uh, happen in magic. Um, it can be an intimidating topic. I know certainly for myself, when I was first getting to magic, you hear all these shortcut terms. And as a newer player, it's really hard to ask uh, about these terms without feeling that you'll get any sort of ridicule or being othered for not knowing some of these things. So we wanted to take a time in intentionally in the podcast to explain some of these things Albeit, we know some of you folks in uh, who are listening may be more experienced with magic. However, this is for some people who would like to know some of these terminologies and where they come from. So, uh, it's going to be a recurring sermon. It's going to be a reoccurring segment. And uh, today's words, uh, James is going to share that with you. So, go right ahead. All right, today's words are going to be what our podcast is about: the nuts. And bolt. Starting off with the nuts. What does it mean to have the nuts? Uh, what it means is optimal, as in god hand or god draw, the best a player could have. For example, with a god hand, this deck can pull off a turn three win. Uh, the best possible hand is also called the nuts or a nut draw. As far as bolts is concerned, you might, if you've played magic for a while, know what this means, but um, to bolt something is to deal three damage to a target, as with the card Lightning Bolt. Now, that card's in Modern, it's not in uh, Pioneer or Standard, but it's usually referred to removing something on site or dealing the last points of damage somewhere. Um, saying that you want to bolt the bird, uh, you can use a Fatal Push or a Stomp on a bird, and someone could still say bolt the bird, not necessarily three damage, but you, you get the point. Uh, dealing, dealing three damage to any target or some amount of damage to any target is usually referred as bolting. Uh, do you have anything to say, uh, Airball, about the jargon? I just know that as a player who's getting into paper for the first time after being on Arena uh, for my entire Magic career, I know there's a lot of things that I was scared about 
turning up to a real life event for the first time and having to have conversations about magic with people, especially people like you guys who are much more experienced than me. So uh, I want to make sure that everyone gets the opportunity to learn about this stuff without having to go through the social pressure of asking the questions first. Yeah, 100% understandable. When I was brand new at Magic, I didn't even know what upkeep was. I came straight from Yu-Gi-Oh! And there's no upkeep in Yu-Gi-Oh! There's just a standby phase, which also nobody knows what it means until you've done it before. So there's so many terms that you have no clue what's happening as long uh, unless you hear it before. So we're going to be providing those things for you all um, so that you can hear it from us before you have to ask someone and be embarrassed about it. So... Without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into our main phase, talking about the top five cards that we're most impressed with, with Dominaria United, five from Airball, five from myself, and five from Michael Kritz. We're going to list them off one by one and talk about each individual one and what we're excited about. Uh, let's go ahead and go to Airballs first. What's, what's the first one on your list? Yeah, so for me, my number five overall card that I'm excited to see out of Dominaria in Pioneer and Standard is Leyline Binding. It's five and a white for a rare enchantment with Flash. Uh, it has the domain ability, so that means that this spell costs one less to cast for every basic land type among lands you control. So supposing you're playing a five-color deck, you have all different, you have all five different land types, uh, Leyline Binding would have, in effect, cost one white to cast at instant speed. And what do you get for that? Well, when it ETBs, when it enters the battlefield, exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls until Leyline Binding leaves the battlefield. So that's a pretty cool O-Ring, Oblivion Ring kind of effect. It's good instant speed removal uh, at rate if you're playing two or three colors like you probably will be. But I want you guys to imagine playing this card with Enigmatic Incarnation. So Enigmatic Incarnation is another enchantment uh, that's available. It lets you sacrifice an enchantment and put a creature into play with one CMC greater. It's like a weird birthing pod kind of effect. Now this is a six CMC card. Imagine exiling your opponent's most important uh, permanence getting rid of Leyline Binding, having it pop back into play, and fetching Agent of Treachery from your deck, which is a 7-CMC card, and stealing it and putting it under your control. That seems pretty sick to me. I don't think it's going to make the cut in terms of playability, but I'm excited to see it. I do have something to say about Leyline Binding, and it happened to be on turn two of the game. Uh, it also has Flash, which is crazy. I'm on the play in the Early Access event. I play Fable the Mirror Breaker, I'm on the play, I fail the Mirror Breaker, all my opponent did was play two tap lands, right? Two of the Triumph cards. And I play Fable the Mirror Breaker, get my 2-2, and all of a sudden I see my opponent cast a spell, it's Leyline Binding, on turn two, targeting my Fable of the Mirror Breaker and exiling it on turn two of the game. I was so surprised, I was like, wait a second, they cast a seven mana card on turn two? That's the thing that you can do, especially with the... Uh, with, with the Enigmatic Incarnation, you can even fire that off on turn two or three and then sacrifice it for Agent of Treachery on turn you know four of the game, and that can be really, really good in the game and, and really swing the game. Yeah, I, I think this card is really good. You don't even have to have all five colors. Even three colors is a pretty strong effect, uh, making this cost just three mana to remove any sort of non-land problem you have on the other side of the battlefield. So... Pretty good on rate, and it exiles it as well. There's so many effects in uh, Magic nowadays. No matter what format, you can bring things back from the grave, or a lot of things have recursion. So just having a three mana, you know, let me take care of this thing at instant speed is a super powerful effect. So I think, uh, you know, probably going to be impressed by where we see this uh, card implemented. Yeah, so it seems like we're all pretty high in Leyland Binding. I don't know if it makes it into a lot of decks, but I think it makes it into very specific decks. 
but it will be very, very good in those specific decks. All right, and the card I'm most excited about, I guess fifth most excited about, as I would say, is Jaya Fiery Negotiator. This is the four mana Planeswalker. Four loyalty, plus one, create a one one red monk creature token with prowess. Now, the fact that it's a plus one to make the token is very important and it doesn't minus to protect itself, it's actually pluses to protect itself. Uh, the minus one is exile the top two cards of your library. Choose one of them. You may play that card this turn. The minus two is choose target creature and opponent controls. Whenever you attack this turn, Jaya Fiery Negotiator deals damage equal to the number of attacking creatures to that creature. And the minus eight is you get an emblem with whenever you cast a red instant or sorcery spell, copy it twice. You may choose new targets for the copies. And I don't like to evaluate Planeswalkers by their ultimate. Obviously, you win the game when that goes off, but you probably don't get that off. But it does help to get it off when the plus one does protect herself. Uh, making the 1-1 one -one Red Monk creature token with Prowess, uh, it's a good chump blocker, but also if you're playing an Instance and Sorceries deck with Jaya as your top end, um, the 1-1 one -one could matter a lot. Could be attacking for two or three in this turn. Uh, the minus one... Unlike Chandra Torture Defiance, which is also 4-mana, and one of the best 4-mana Planeswalkers ever printed, I guess besides Jace the Mind Sculptor, um, this one looks at the top two cards of your library instead of one. It doesn't burn them, but you still get to look pretty deep in your deck for that card advantage, so you don't just hit a land every time. Um, the minus two, uh, during my early access event, I've got the minus two off. I only activated it three times, and all three times I killed something with four toughness. So... That kind of said a lot. Dry's a little bit worse when you're behind than when you're ahead because you don't get to use that minus two ability uh, when you're behind like you can with Chandra Torture Defiance. But don't underestimate Jaya's minus two ability. That can really do a lot of damage. Uh, and then, of course, the minus eight is whenever you whenever you lightning strike something, you get to do nine damage instead of three. Of course, you're going to win the game. But um, what do you think about it, Airball? Yeah, to me, I feel like this is... I'm kind of unimpressed with it because it feels like Chandra Torture Defiance at home. There's a lot of things to like about it. As a Planeswalker, it gives you your card advantage. It's a persistent, sticky threat that's hard for a control deck to remove. But it's just not nearly as scary as having Chandra pinging you for two every time and generating the card advantage while plussing. Uh, but in standard, I think it's it could be in an okay spot. It depends on where the red aggressive decks end up. Uh, I think for myself, uh, I, I actually... The more I read this card, the more I kind of get more impressed by it. When I first read it, I was like, oh, this is okay. But I think the big takeaway why I feel differently now is the plus ones really work well with the minus one and the minus two. Um, so like you're making some more creatures. So obviously you're, you're having some more virtual um, card uh, advantage there by having some tokens. And then the minus one, you get to still play, like no matter, you're more likely going to do something with what you minus one on because you can play lands off of it because that, that key keyword play instead of cast. So play, you can still play lands or cast a spell where cast, you're restricted to only casting spells and not playing lands. So I think that's pretty huge, even against a control uh, opponent, that you can maybe somehow if they're stumbling on lands, if you go up on some land on your land count, that could actually tax the control player in, in a way that they're uncomfortable. And then the minus two, I think is relevant only because you have a good plus one. Uh, without that plus one, I think it makes the minus two a lot worse. And then minus eight, you race at this game. If you're minusing eight, you're probably going to run away with that game. So, I will say as a control player that the card advantage mode being a minus instead of a plus makes this so much less scary. Because I know that even if I don't interact with it to remove it, they're either going to have to take a turn off of getting the card advantage, or it's going to kill Jaya. Um, 
as whereas with Chandra Torch, they get the card advantage while plussing every single turn, and I have to do something about it. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, with, with the with the one one prowess creature, depending on the deck, that could be really relevant card advantage for the for having the plus one, especially if you're either a mid range deck or a creature deck, and that's your top end. The the one one is actually very relevant card advantage. Whether, whether I mean, card advantage could be referred to as yeah, the one one is just a one one, but it also could be, um, it could be, you know, uh, I guess the if it said draw a card, it would be much better. But a one one is isn't nothing. It could it could kill you. Yeah, Jaya, this planeswalker Jaya wants to be in a tempo based deck, even though like tempo could also involve creatures. So even if you're playing against a control player. The minus one is still relevant of playing lands because if you want to play a bunch of spells that also chain off your monk and all the other things your deck is doing, even just having more lands than your opponent is just super good. So that's yeah. kind of where I'm looking at it. And next up for Michael, we have Rona, Shieldred's Faithful. What can you tell me about that one? Why are you excited about that one? Yeah, so it's it's kind of expensive but it's one blue black and a black three four legendary human wizard uh whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell each opponent loses one life and then it has you may cast rona shieldred's faithful from your graveyard by discarding two cards in addition to paying its other costs um it's a little bit weird but i think if you're able to slot this in into a standard demure control deck this is kind of the things you want to be doing um you know that what you know if you're casting spells or countering spells that it is at least hurting your opponent in some way. Sometimes blue-black has uh, traditionally had a hard time trying to close out games in a meaningful manner um, because the colors don't really lend itself to closing out games, especially with like creature damage because you're trying to build your Demir deck in a way that you're, you're stopping your opponent from everything that they're doing. You don't have much slots to have a proactive game plan. And then on top of that, if you're just drawing things that you don't need anymore, like uh, you have a bunch of counter spells and or removal, and there's no more things to remove. Uh, you can discard, you know, the two cards that you have that aren't relevant in your hand and put back Rona onto the battlefield that might be clear and start hitting them for a three. Meanwhile, still taxing their life total. So I think um, it's it's kind of a niche card, but if it's able to see play, I think it's something that's really exciting to do. For for me, my kind of analysis on this card is: Do you remember the remember the, the the four mana creature, or maybe it was five mana? It was a snow creature, and you could pay an amount of snow mana to bring it back out of the graveyard at like, and you can even do it at instant speed. I think uh, I I kind of feel like this is like a little bit Narfi esque in in the way that you bring it out, and you don't have to discard two cards from Narfi, and that card wasn't necessarily playable, but like th this one being uh having the the whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell each opponent loses a life text on it could lend itself to i think um be like a combo enabler i think that you can sure. you can get a uh a combo off to where they can um lose a life and then keep losing more life kind of similar to how the six mana liliana planeswalker was where but that says whenever you cast or copy a spell that came out in trick seven i believe the professor on it's um, that mm -hmm. lent, lent itself to a little bit more combo kills in a blue-black shell. Uh, I kind of see this as a, a different card. I kind of see this as more of a Demir Tempo top-end card. That's like yeah. a, uh, you, you play your, your, you bounce their things, you attack them for a lot, and all of a sudden now you have a 3-4, you attack them again, and now they have to kill this because now they're at 3-4-5 life, and every time you cast an instant of sorcery, which you're playing a lot already since you're a Tempo deck, they're draining. They're losing more and more life, 
And then even if you get rid of this, you can just bring it back and keep attacking them. That's how I look at this card. What do you think about this card, Airball? Yeah, there are definitely some things to like about the card. Uh, it's a human wizard. Those are both really relevant types. 3-4 um, body doesn't die to like strangle or anything like that, so it will probably stick some of the time. But I'm not really sure what deck wants it. Um, you get some pseudo card advantage by discarding it because you can play it from your graveyard, but uh, casting it from your graveyard means you need to discard two more cards. So now you're two cards down, and you have to pay the mana, and it's sorcery speed. So I don't think a tempo deck wants it because it's too clunky. I don't think a control deck wants it because the value is atrocious. And I just don't think the impact of one life for every spell that you cast is enough to warrant playing the card. Maybe I'm missing something. No, I, I agree with the critiques as well. I'm just hoping, like I said, I hope it finds a home. If it is able to find a home, I think it's an exciting card. It just seems kind of like a, a card that might be clunky enough for your opponent to deal to deal with that they don't want to, and they feel like maybe it's not worth me using a removal spell, and then you kind of nickel and dime their life uh, here and there. So it is, it's just kind of a... Yeah, I mean, in that way, they're like, I don't have to remove that until they're dead, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of weird thing, until people start understanding it has value, and then maybe it'll stop seeing play, because people are just like, oh, we just should just remove this. So I think early on Dominaria, if we can find a... Or any set that just comes out and you can like slide it in right when the, the set starts. I think it's kind of a cool thing that you could be doing. All right, let's move on to Airball's next card. Kick it off. Yeah, so it's not often you're going to see me excited about a red creature card, but that's exactly what we have here. We have Squee the Dubious Monarch. So for two and a red, you get a legendary creature, Goblin Noble at rare. It's a 2-2 with haste, and whenever Squee Dubious Monarch attacks, you create a 1-1 red goblin creature token that's tapped and attacking. And importantly, you can cast it from your graveyard by paying three in a red and exiling four other cards from your graveyard rather than paying its mana cost. Effectively, it has escape uh, four with uh, the uh, four mana cost to bring it back into play. And this card reminds me of a card that used to terrify me as a control player. Legion Warboss was something that people used to bring in from the sideboard against me all the time. And this is like a hasty version of that in a way, because every time you get into combat with it, you still make the token, it can create a huge board, demands the uh, opponent answer it immediately. Uh, and if they don't, they're in trouble. And making that a recursive threat um, that the opponent can just bring back from the graveyard over and over again through removal is pretty important. Like, imagine your opponent is activating Den of the Bugbear and beating you down with that. That's exactly what this card does, except once you Fatal Push that Den, you've Stone Rained them, and it's not coming back. Squeeze coming back. That scares me. I, w I wonder what you guys think. You know what I think immediately? My immediate thought process is, you're a control player, it's on this list because you really hate it. You hate it for your own self. You're like, you, yeah. you have to Wandering Emperor this, or you will die. <laughs> that that's what that's what I'm hearing myself. This is why it's on the list. It is going to be really tough for control decks. And if you want if you want to beat control decks, you got to play this card. This is like this is Legion War Boss, but with haste. I, I think I think it's really exciting. It's not on, it's not on my list, um, just because it it didn't it didn't uh, I guess it didn't make me go oh my gosh wow. I guess maybe because I've already seen War Legion War Boss like type cards, but it's a really powerful card. I mean, what do you think, Michael? Yeah, um, you know, Airball, you, you have to pay three in a red and exile four other cards to cast this. <laughs> no, I'm just messing. Um, no, I think this is a good card. It's two in a red uh, when you first initially cast it, which is great because then you're making a 2-2 two -two and attacking with a 1-1. One -one. Um, you know, you're still getting three power for three, but they're two separate things. And additionally, if your opponent does remove it uh, as it's attacking or something to the sense 
um, you can always bring it back in another future turn, like, like you said, and it has a lot of stickiness to it, where it can come back and still make a whole bunch of two, uh, make a whole bunch of one ones. And I think the fact that it leaves something behind on top of it being able to come back is a, is a huge uh, factor of it being really good. And red's a great color of trying to get things into the graveyard. There's a lot of um, effects that say, you know, to cast a spell, discard something, or you know, effects that, that make you discard a lot of things. So I think um, this is what you want to be doing against maybe a control player, like you were saying, Airball, of uh, being able to have a recurring threat. I have one more thing to say about this, actually. When you do Wandering Emperor, okay, I'm going to call you oh. Bolters as the audience, okay? Since this is our first time, I can call you Bolters, right, audience? Okay. When you Bolters have wandering, wandering Emperor against this card, do not cast Wandering Emperor on the trigger of it making a 1-1. You will exile the 2-2, which you want to do, but the 1-1's going to kill the Wandering Emperor because it hasn't declared a target yet. So make sure, when you're Wandering Emperoring this, make sure the 1-1 comes out and declares a target of an attack before you cast the Wandering Emperor. I've killed so many Wandering Emperors with Den of the Bugbear because they just can't wait to exile a Wandering Emperor and that 1-1 kills it. Who would ever make that mistake? <laughs> yeah, uh, not you, Airball, that's for sure. No, you never make that no mistake. <laughs> All right, um, up next is my card, Quirion Beast Caller. This card destroyed me in the early access today. Two mana, two, two, green creature. Whenever you cast a creature spell, put a plus one, plus one counter on Quirion Beast Caller. Now, that's really awesome, right? It reminds me of another car a different card in the past, uh, but... When this dies, you get to distribute X plus one plus one counters among any number of creatures you control, where X is the number of plus one plus one counters on Quirion Beast Color. And it's already a two mana two two. The other card that did this, Quirion something else, Quirion Ranger, I think it was. It was a, it was like a two mana one one that mm -hmm. that only got plus one plus one counters when you cast like a blue, white, or green spell. This oh. one is any creature spell, and you also get to distribute counters when it dies. Uh, there was only two creatures on the board at the time I killed this. The, their flying creature became like a 6-7, and it killed me. It, like, not only do you have to... Th th this requires removal, and then even when you remove it, it also gains additional value. Yeah, I, I think this is a strong card, uh, like you're speaking into. A lot of the, hey, plus one, plus one uh, counters matter decks, and green lends itself to that along with, you know, maybe you splash some white to kind of get more creatures on board. Um, but, yeah, this is a very strong threat, and it's one of those things where you want to kill it immediately, but it, it's not, and especially in a, in a deck that it wants to get into, um, there's probably other threats that you also want to kill. So it's just, it's compounding the amount of, of, of uh, you know, threats that you have to deal with, and someone putting this on the other side of the board, you know that you're going to be, you know, in a in a maybe a rough game of magic where you're you're gonna have to make some tough decisions. So yeah, I think it's a good card. Yeah, for me this is a, this is one of those cards that I'm very bad at evaluating. I think that it's probably pretty good. I know it's pretty bad against board wipes, obviously, because the counters don't have anywhere to go. But I'm also reminded of cards like Pelt Collector, that whenever a creature with higher power comes into play or higher toughness, you put a counter on it. There's no such requirement here. You just cast a spell, and this still gains a counter. Now, this is a 2-drop instead of a 1-drop. There's a lot more competition at the 2-drop slot than the 1-drop slot in most aggro decks, so it, it hurts there. But, yeah, I'm not great at these creature-versus-creature creature matchups and figuring out what's good and what's bad in those. I'll leave it to you guys. I think, I think for me, Queer on Beast Caller is going to be better in Standard than it will in Pioneer. 
And I think it might even mm -hmm. be just the thing you always want to do on turn two in like a green white deck or a mono green deck. I think it's that good in standard. Uh, in Pioneer, you have a lot of competition. Um, you even have the, the green white two drop that makes a, another creature when it dies, which is really strong. There's a lot of competition yeah. at the two drop slot. Uh, I'm not sure if it makes it into Pioneer, but you never know. It could. Oh, yeah. I, I, like I said, standard. Like what you were saying, standard, that's what you want to be doing, uh, giving a threat that they have to answer or maybe just die to straight up at some point. So. Yeah, you're, you're definitely in standard going to be chump blocking this card. You, you will chump block this card. <laughs> uh, move, moving on to your next card, Michael Kritz, what is it? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, from, from Magic Lore, the Raven Man. Um, it's one in a black, a 2-1 legendary creature, human wizard. Uh, at the beginning of each end step, if a player discarded a card this turn, create a 1-1 black bird creature token with flying, and this creature can't block. And then you can additionally, it has an activated ability of three and a black and tap this card. Each opponent discards a card, activate only as a sorcery. So um, I, I kind of like this card because I'm, I'm a classic mid-range player. I'm a classic Rakdos gang gang type of person. So anytime I can make my opponents discard, I'm, I'm in a happy place. And uh, you additionally get something else on top of the discard effect. In, in Magic, there's a lot of one-for-ones that kind of happen in these mid-range decks, and the more that you can have an additional effect, the better off you're at. So I think if you're able to make your opponent discard and then get a, a body on top of that at your end step is kind of nice, and you can attack with it in the following turn. And I also like that it can give its... It activates its, its own trigger. Uh, so that I, I actually am very keen on. Um, yeah, I think uh, if, if this is able to find play, I think this is a, a really cool card um, to kind of build around. Speaking of building around it, um, there's a deck that already almost all already builds around it in Pioneer, and it's one of the best decks, Rakdos Midrange. It's the deck that I personally play in Pioneer, and I will be playing this card at like one or two copies of it, because there's a thing with Rakdos Midrange and where it doesn't really like go too wide unless your opponent just doesn't remove anything you play. Um, with the Raven Man, you get a you get to enact a more proactive game plan when you have the Raven Man out, because you're already going to be playing cards like Liliana of the Veil, which we'll touch on later. You're already playing Thoughtseize. You're already boarding in Duress. You're already playing Graveyard Trespasser. And when your opponent targets Graveyard Trespasser, unless it's in their end step after the start of end step, you're going to get a bird on their end step when they get rid of the Graveyard Trespasser. There's just there's so many things that can happen. They you're playing a mirror match or you're playing against a sacrifice deck and they sacrifice something to a blood token, sacrifice a blood token, discard a card, you get a bird. If you discard a card from blood token, you get a bird. So you can get a bird on each player's end step and it really just amasses to a lot of advantage. Uh, the one thing the Raven Man doesn't do is block very well. It's only a 2-1. It doesn't really block anything unless you don't mind getting rid of your Raven Man to either chump block or trade with something. Um, but, and the 1-1's one birds also can't block. But it allows Rakdos Midrange and Pioneer to have a game plan that doesn't involve just playing out a Bone Crusher Giant and then uh, maybe playing out a Greyrod Trespasser and not being as wide. If you wanted to enact a wider game plan, you can if you have Raven Man. And I think um, Raven Man is better in Rakdos Midrange than maybe like a season, than like a um, young Pyromancer would be because you're not playing as many instants and sorceries. What, what's your take on it, Airball? Yeah, the whole time you were talking, I was thinking, what about Young Pyromancer? What about Young Pyromancer? And you mentioned it at the end. 
But like the nice thing about Young Pyromancer is that all these discard effects you're talking about, like Thoughtseize and Duress, already trigger it. And you can even cast Duress when your opponent's empty-handed with a PC in play and still get the 1-1. But the Raven Man, if the opponent's hellbent, then you actually get nothing from it. Um, so the question is, like, how much, how often is the opponent's game plan going to involve them discarding their own cards? Maybe a little, maybe in the mirror match. But I feel like this is a tough, this, is a, uh, this card doesn't really do enough for me. But you're the Rakdos player, I'll trust your judgment. Uh, there's a lot of decks that just incidentally discard cards. There's, that like, enact their game plan, right? Not not only Rakdos midrange plays Fable of the Mirror Breaker. That's also a discard. It's also a discard for us being the Fable, for me, being the Fable of the Mirror Breaker player. Doing, uh, playing Ravenman on turn two and then playing Fable or Liliana on turn three triggers the bird. Um, even in like a Grease Fang deck, like every Grease Fang deck discards. Um, every single Phoenix deck discards. Uh, just like just like so many decks discard. Sure, but Grease Fang. Do you really think the one one bird token is gonna? They're, they're gonna be sad that they're discarding cards when. Oh, their no, game plan is just bring back for healing and kill you. Well, <laughs> well, no, well, no, they're not going to be. They're not going to. They're not going to not discard because you're going to make a one-one. But as the Rakdos midrange player, you have to kill them before they combo you. There's only so many removal spells that you can have against Grease Fangs because they have a lot of recursion for the Grease Fang. Uh, in that matchup, and you're playing Rakdos, you have to really put on the gas after you stop like one Grease Fang. You have to actually kill them um, because all they need is one Grease Fang with a Parhelion to resolve, and you lose. Well, if you're trying to go super wide, this card is limited to making one bird per turn, right? If they discarded a card. But Peasy, you can cast three spells in a turn, and you get three tokens. You go wide much faster then, right? Yes, but in Rakdos midrange specifically, you a lot of your cards cost like three mana. So there's not a lot of times where you can make more than, where you'd be able to make more than one. Um, once you have your instants and sorceries, you use them like right away. You're not like holding them in your hand or maybe using them for the, at the perfect time. Usually like you would be in Phoenix where you have like so many instances of sorceries. And that's why young Pyromancer, I think is played in the sideboard in Phoenix, but in Rakdos midrange specifically, there's a lot of things that are just, it can be non-creature spells. Like there's Chandra, Soren, um, Fable of the Mirrorbreaker that just like wouldn't trigger young PZ anyway. And the only thing that would trigger it is like maybe a fatal push or a thought seize. And like, there's not that many of them to go around in the Rakdos midrange build as they're currently constructed. Maybe with Liliana in the format, that they'll start, Rex's Bedroom will start trimming like a Chandra and start trimming some four drops to try to like be a little bit lower to the ground so they can empty their hand um, fast enough to actually cast Liliana and get a lot of value out of it. But as it stands right now with no Liliana in the format, Riven Man seems better than Young Pyromancer, but it could, uh, I could be wrong. Moving on to Airballs, next one to hit me. Yeah, so if this doesn't scream blue player to you, nothing will. We have Rona's Vortex, which is a single blue for an instant with kicker two and a black. Return target creature or planeswalker you don't control to its owner's hand. If the spell was kicked, put that permanent on the bottom of its owner's library instead. So the first thing I want to say is I love this like off-color kicker mechanic that's in Dominaria, like encouraging you to play it in multicolor decks but not requiring it. I think that's pretty sick. Mm-hmm. Um, Wizards has been like pushing this new like like better on summons a little bit further with every set and this is like the latest iteration of that so you can't bounce your own creatures to your hand but you don't really care about that all that much in most formats particularly pioneer right now and this uh this addresses one of the major weaknesses of blue white control which is my favorite deck 
Um, in Pioneer right now, you don't really have a great efficient answer to a resolved opponent Planeswalker. So if you're playing against Mono Green and they resolve Karn on you, you're kind of screwed unless you find Faithful Absence. And this allows you to bounce it back to your opponent's hand uh, and counter it on the way back down. So if they cast Karn on three and you don't have Veto, you get a mulligan. You can put it back in their hand, they cast it when you have your Absorb up. Um, and being able to put the permanent on the bottom of the owner's library with Kicker later is important. This is also a card you can main deck. So, like, as opposed to other Planeswalker removal spells, you can main deck this one because you won't get roasted playing against aggro. This deals with enemy aggression in a way that um, you're not, you're never sad to draw this card in any matchup. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do really like it, and I also hate it at the same time. I hate it for when I play against it. I like it for what if I'm playing with it. The fact that it... If that doesn't scream good card, <laughs> I don't know what does. The fact <laughs> that the fact that it's not like an Aethergust where you can just choose to put it on top and it just straight up puts it on the bottom, right? It, it, it's straight. Yeah. It, it's it's removal that usually blue white control doesn't have access to unless it just straight up exiles, which it does really well with Wandering Emperor and March of Otherworldly Light and Farewell. So there's a lot of exile removal, but now you also get bounce to the deck removal. Like how much non destruction removal can you get? I, I guess the only thing you're playing now is. I guess a couple copies of Faithful Absence and maybe some Supreme Verdicts, but that's basically it. I thought Indestructible was supposed to be good against Blue-White Control. It's just not anymore. No, nothing is supposed to be good against Blue-White Control. The fact that anything is, is oh, wow. a flaw in the design of magic. And that's Ooh. why Squee was your number four? <laughs> well, I've got to give you a chance. <laughs> well, if, they keep, if, they put, if they bring the Squee out of the graveyard and you Rona's, Rona's Vortex it back to the deck, they no longer have access yep. to it. Suck it, Squee. <laughs> I, I think this card is really great. Uh, just the base, like, you, you folks already spoken to all the cool things it does. I'm just going to reiterate the fact that it deals with a Planeswalker for one mana pretty clean. Not cleanly, because they can still recast it. But just a, if you're playing, like, Airball saying uh, blue-white control, and you just need another turn to draw a counterspell for their, their Planeswalker or answer for their Planeswalker, because that's, you know, famously... Uh, control decks sometimes have a hard time dealing with play a resolved planeswalker. You know, this gives you another go at it, and that for one mana on top of that. So, just the the tempo swing on that uh, is kind of wild as far as rebalancing the 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 um, the the advantage a planeswalker brings between a control player and the person playing a, a planeswalker. So, I think this card is going to be pretty impactful whether that's pioneer or standard because it gives the control deck another chance to find an answer for just just a planeswalker not not to mention this also just deals with creatures like airball was saying yeah it's important that it deals with planeswalkers but like i guess did, did we forget this also does the same thing to creatures like like i said about squee i don't know i, I think this might be i think if you gave blue light control players a uh, a, a question you said think about what card that you could possibly want for your blue eye control deck and things that you can't deal with right now they'd probably mention this card without even knowing it exists like i want something to bounce bounce things back to the deck that are also planeswalkers here we go we have it it's Ronus vortex all right moving on to my next one it's joint exploration and this one i call uro at home it is one in a blue for an instant with kicker for one green so you guessed it one blue and green Scry two, then draw a card. If this spell was kicked, you may put a land card from your hand in the battlefield. Okay, scry two, gain three life, doesn't really matter. Who cares about a 6-6 six, six Uro? This card's Uro at home. I love this card. 
I am a sucker for like soul tie mid range, like soul tie mid range slash control, and this card will be going in those decks. Not only do you get to scry two and draw a card without paying the kicker if you don't want to, if you just want to cast this on turn two, which is already okay. It's already a, a card that you would play anyway. Not to mention that it has the additional uh, kicker, for lack of better words, to put a land from your hand on the battlefield. Not that this is the best thing to be doing anyway, quote-unquote. Um, you would much rather cast a card that does more than Scry 2 draw a card for two mana, because there already is one that looks at the, looks at the top four and adds a card, right? Uh, I forgot the name of that card off the top of my head, but it didn't just come out. Impulse. You'd much rather Impulse over Joint Exploration, given the choice of which one you want on turn two, right? But this one also ramps you in your deck. If you're playing if you're playing either Sultai or you're playing... Uh, green blue ramp you already want to be doing so um it's also a a ramp spell that is not bad when you top deck at late game so i think there's a lot to like about this card what do you think airball yeah this isn't so much uro at home for me as it is gross spiral at home but gross spiral <laughs> was good enough to get banned so i think <laughs> this is uh i think this is still a pretty exciting card i don't think you're ever playing it like, you're never excited to draw this card. Like, cycling it for two with an extra scry two is not, like, a very exciting thing to do. It's it's just a redraw. But, you know, if you're playing a gross spirally deck, you probably have the mana to be willing to cycle in the late game anyway. So it's not as bad as it otherwise seems. Um, I think that having to grow spiral on three instead of two is a pretty big cost. But there's a lot of five mana spells that you would end up ramping into that are really powerful right now. I'm, I'm excited to see where this one goes. Yeah, I, I agree uh, with both of you. And I think that... You know, if if we sometimes you need to look at the the details or like the meticulous parts of magic uh, to really understand what might be going on. And on its face value, like they were saying, uh, one in a blue just to scry two and draw a card it isn't really that bad. Like you know, especially in the decks that it wants to be in, uh, you can get to that card that you specifically need because you're looking three deep uh, if you bottom both the the scries. And then additionally, if you play this on turn three. You know, you're getting if you have something to follow up the 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 land card that you put onto the battlefield, you get a you know on turn three you spend four mana right away, which is really great because you're 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 using joint exploration first to scry two, then draw a card or something of maybe a value, and then you might be able to put like a one mana creature that's like uh you know a mana dork or something of the effect, so that that your next follow up turn you might be going from uh you know. You're just you're ramping, and so you're kind of spending way more mana than your opponent is if they're not be able if they're not able to kind of capitalize um, as well as you do on on mana usage. So yeah, I think this is a great card. Right, I I think um, I want to put into some context a little bit. In Explorer, there's a lot better things to be doing with three mana, unless you're going unless it's played in maybe the the combo deck that likes to play. Um, that likes to play the the sloth that you play on turn one that plays out a land right away, the O three, and then on yeah, turn yeah. two, uh, great uh, arboreal grazer, and then turn two you get to yeah. joint exploration. Uh, I think that deck might want something like this, especially since it gets to scry towards their combo, and also gets to ramp them. But I don't, I don't think I see this in any other deck in Pioneer. Uh, Pioneer or Explorer, but in Standard, I think this will be played a lot more, especially if there's also a something that we're not going to mention today, but there's a Flash 4-drop that's in Black-Blue, I believe, that um, is basically, you know, it, it can, like, counter something and draw a card, or it can destroy something and draw a card. 
I mean, you can just ramp right away into that or ramp right away into a five drop if you're playing a, like a soul tie ramp deck of the sort. Um, I think this will be played, played, played much more in standard than it will be in any other format, but I think it still has a use in Pioneer. All right, moving on. What's your next card, Michael? Bohar, Bodilian, Desecrator. It's black and a blue. Uh, one, two, legendary creature, Phyrexian, Merfolk, Wizard. You can tap it to draw a card, then discard a card. If you discard it, it's a sorcery card. This way, each opponent loses one life, and you gain one life. And then uh, pay to sacrifice this card. You may cast target instant or sorcery card from their graveyard this turn. If that spell would be put into your graveyard, exile instead. Activate only as a sorcery. So I think the reason why I'm more up on this card, um, and I had it higher on my list than other, uh, the other two cards, is because how cheap it is and the effects that it has. It's literally just a blue and a black, and then you can uh, tap it, draw a card, discard a card, and be able to filter through your deck like that, um, especially in a Demir deck, is, is really good. And if you discard an instant or sorcery, uh, you know, there's a, a drain effect happening there, which is not just you know, someone losing the one life. And then, albeit the sorcery speed, you know... Um, pay two, and then you can return an instant or sorcery card back to your hand. Um, what does it say? You can cast instant... Oh, no, you can cast it. So you can just straight up cast it. So it might be something that you need to draw more cards, or you need to deal a threat onto the board. So I think um, just because of the cost of the initial blue and a black, I think that's why I really enjoy this card and the effects that it gives. At first glance, I read this second ability to sacrifice it as it wasn't sorcery speed, so you can, like, pseudo-snapcaster mage your opponent with this, which would make me even much more excited. But oh, yeah. as a sorcery, what, what instant or sorcery do you want to cast from your graveyard at sorcery speed by sacrificing this that you also just don't mind playing a sorcery speed 2-drop on turn 2? I'm not sure. Um, maybe it's some kind of um, discard spell, like in a proactive um, blue, um, blue-black tempo deck. Maybe if you're if you're casting a duress from this or like a, a new card called Pilfer, which is basically Thought Seize for two mana, um, maybe maybe something like that. And you also get to filter through your deck and make them lose life. So I kind of see this as more of like a D- Demir Tempo card that you actually want to tap out on turn two. I'm not sure you would want to do play this card in any other way. But what do you think, Airball? Yeah, this is like this is a pretty weird one. Um, it's a two drop that lets you fill your graveyard. So my first thought playing Pioneer is like this feeds your Torrential Gear Hulk. Um, it gets you towards your uh, gets you towards the cards that you want to draw. It puts your uh, it puts your uh, counter spells in the graveyard for Torrential Gear Hulk. Um, you can discard like a Magma Opus for Torrential Gear Hulk. Just let your imagination go wild. Um, but uh, it, this is. It dies to everything, like literal everything. It needs to survive a turn to be able to activate its ability. Um, and it needs to sacrifice itself to cast an instant or sorcery card from the graveyard, and you still have to pay that instant or sorcery mana cost as well. So, like, you can sacrifice it, it turns on Revolt for Fatal Push and trades with another creature, so it's like a glorified removal spell that way that still gets to attack. I don't know. This is this is a tough one to evaluate. I'm interested to see if it finds a home. Yeah, I think I think another thing is it might be good almost any, uh, in the beginning, mid, or late in the game, because it, even though uh, in the beginning you get coward filtering, mid-game you might be able to cast a cheap removal spell, like you said, Fatal Push or something of the sort, and then late game, uh, you say like you dealt with everything on the board and you need to do some card draw through an instant or sorcery spell in your graveyard, like that allows you, you'll have the mana to 
pay the two to sacrifice a thing, pay to draw the cards and maybe follow up the next turn, or pay to cast a thing right away that you get off your, your card draw spell that you use on this. So I think it's it's very, I, I agree, it's kind of hard to evaluate, but I think because it might have played throughout the whole game of Magic, then it, it could be, it might serve a purpose somewhere. Yeah, it's kind of like four mana, draw the best card from your graveyard. All right. Oh, yeah. That is Volhar, Voldalian, Desecrator. Let's go ahead and move on to Airball's next card. Hit me with it. All right, don't hate me too much. I already do. Uh, this You already do, it's true. This is another one mana, a one blue card, Combat Research, and it's an enchantment aura. Enchant creature, oh. enchanted creature has, whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. And it has some extra text. As long as Enchanted Creature is legendary, it gets plus one, plus one, and has word one. So this is Curious Obsession, but in my opinion, a little bit better. Uh, and I'm especially interested to see this in Pioneer. Um, this is Curious Obsession without the downside, really, of uh, of um, having to attack. The plus one, plus one on Curious Obsession was never really the big deal. It was always getting to draw the card and having the opponent not be able to remove your creature at rate. And... Having the extra four copies of something in a deck is a pretty big deal. So, like, when Mono Green has access to Elvish Mystic and Llanowar Elves, it can be guaranteed, more or less, to have it in its opening hand. They always have it. Mono Blue Spirits, Bant Spirits, they don't always have Curious Obsession in their opening hand, and when they have it versus when they don't, it's night and day. So having eight copies in the deck versus four makes enormous difference. Makes their Cocos a little bit worse, because um, you re you reduce the creature density a little bit, but this is a card that you always, always, always want in your opening hand, uh, and not having to attack with it makes it better in the creature matchups as well. Uh, I when Airball was reading this card off, I think I just I think I turned off the podcast actually and turned it back on real quick. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I I just. Uh... It's very clear that in this set they want to push Mono Blue Tempo. Nothing against Mono Blue Tempo players themselves. I'm not, nothing against them personally. Sure. But, sure. but, big but here. I don't like playing against this deck. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think people agree with me, but there's also a lot of people who love the deck too. So, nothing against them, but combat research. Uh, when I saw this spoiled, I was upset, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on to the next one. Here's my card. It's Sarah Paragon. This would be my favorite card in the format in slash set if it wasn't for a different card I'm going to talk about later. But this card is absolutely bananas. Four mana, three, four for an angel with flying. Once during each of your turns, you may play a land from your graveyard or cast a permanent spell with mana value three or less from your graveyard. If you do, it gains when this permanent is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, exile it, and you gain two life. Like, I know it's not Luris, okay? It, but it might as well be the closest thing you can get. Mana value three or less is a lot of mana value. That's not, that, that's not even the, the really cool part about this. The really cool part about this is that you get to play cards like Fable of the Mirror Breaker, which you're probably already playing because it's that good of a card. But when it, you bring it back from Sarah Paragon from the graveyard, because yes, you can also do that. So for a massive value, the third chapter exiles it and brings it back to the battlefield as a reflection of Kijiki, which actually turns off the part of the card that is the downside of this card. It loses the when this permanent is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, exile it, and you gain two life. So you just get to keep bringing Fable the Mirror Breaker back over and over and over and over unless they exile it. You get to do that with every single one of the Kamigawa, um 
sagas. I mean, you would only there's not really many else that uh, you, that are playable in Pioneer, but for standard, that is really really good. And I actually wouldn't be surprised if there was some um, Boros slash Mardu mid range deck that came out in Pioneer that's featuring this card. This card is really really good. Uh, I love Muldroth of the Gravetide. I played it as a commander and in commander decks, and this card gives me those vibes as well. It also gives me some Sun Titan vibes. It's also a flyer. I mean, there's just so many things about this card that I like. It can play lands out of your graveyard. It just does everything. It gives you free discards from Fable of the Mirror Breaker on the second mode because you know you can just bring them back with Sarah Paragon, so you just discard your permanence. It's just so much value. <laughs> the flying 3-4 is definitely a body uh, on top of being able to you know, have all that recursion to include lands. I didn't even pick up on that part when I first read this card. You could play lands from your graveyard. So like, you know, that your 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 graveyard's basically always on, especially the kind of decks you want to play this this uh card into, you're just always gonna have something to do. So um I'm I, I'm a mid range player, especially a Rakdos mid range player. If I see this on the other side, I am uh I'll have to deal with it. It's gonna be a headache for sure. Yeah, this card is pretty cool. I, I kind of like the like the value that you get from it. Imagine having Fabled Passage in play and just replaying that over and over again, never missing a land drop the rest of the game while this is in play. That's pretty sick. Bringing back all the three drops that dominate Pioneer right now, that's pretty sick as well. Um, this card, though, does not like Graveyard Trespasser. It does not like Rest in Peace. It does not like Unlicensed Hearse. Um, and those are very popular cards right now. So without... With decks being able to turn off the graveyard reliably, this is a 3-4 flyer for 4. Is that good enough? Maybe think, as an angel, maybe, but I don't know. I, I think it is, because like the things that you're mentioning, uh, except, wait, did you say Leyline of the Void? I don't know if that's playable in Pioneer off the top I said of my head. Rest in Peace, actually. Rest in Peace. Okay, so Rest in Peace is the only thing that cleanly deals with everything in the graveyard, but... The things that you mentioned, like uh, Graveyard Trespasser and um, Unlicensed Hearse, those can only hit like one or two targets at a time. And, you know, uh, generally they can't like get everything. And usually if they are getting things, they're getting like your instant sorcery creatures, not your land. So at least you still can play a land off of, you know, land off the. Uh, this card and you're you're still getting card advantage from that standpoint so you're not completely lost out i think even in the decks that rock those type of threats that you're speaking into you're still having card advantage because you're not playing the land from your hand so you know you're always going to like hit your land drops which is really good okay hear me out maybe i'm drinking the kool-aid here but i feel like when your opponent has graveyard trespasser against your sarah paragon you're a you're happy with it they're, that's because they're never attacking their graveyard trespasser into your three four because their graveyard, graveyard trespasser is going to die without you discarding a card. They're never attacking it. Unless, unless, unless they make it nighttime and then start attacking. Um, but if Sarah Paragon is your top end and they're exiling things out of your graveyard, being the, the Rakdos midrange player in Pioneer, I want them to bring their, their hearse in. Because it doesn't do enough. A lot of people bring yeah. their hearse in just to deal with Croxa. If you're bringing your hearse in just to deal with Croxa or just to deal with Sarah Paragon... Cool, you dealt with the graveyard, but now you have to deal with the 3-4 on top of it. Now you have a hearse mm -hmm. and your removal spell that you use on Sarah Paragon, and that's a 2-for-1 for, for me. Uh, and, and so as a thought experiment, as a thought experiment, though, like Rakdos has a bunch of cheap permanents in the graveyard at all times. That's easy enough. But Sarah Paragon, what kind of deck do you think you're going to play that in that reliably fills its graveyard with threats that you really want to bring back? Uh, if you played a Mardu midrange deck. 
that you have failed the Moonbreaker and Graveyard Trespasser and Bonecrusher Giant that you all want to bring back from the graveyard after you've already used value, use them for value, and your opponent has already removed them. Or you discarded them off the Fable of the Moonbreaker um, and you bring them back with Sarah Paragon. It's not like an end of the world thing if the graveyard gets exiled because you probably already have cards in your hand that you want to cast anyway. It's only really devastating if Sarah Paragon is like your literal only hope to come back in the game and they've exiled your graveyard. I think, I think Toon Pioneer, we may, uh, this is a, a may, um, see maybe one or two copies, whether mainboard or sideboard, for um, Grease Fang, because this does get Grease Fang back. It does get some of the things that enable your Grease Fang, like the 1-1 um, the one -one that mills your stuff into the, uh, the Stitcher Supplier. Um, it does bring back your um, the connive creature that allows you to like um, put stuff into your graveyard additionally for more targets for Sarah Paragon. So I could see this being in a Grease Fang deck as a one or two copy in the 75 somewhere. So I, I can see it having value there as well. It brings back a license curse from the graveyard when it dies. Like, Thank God for that. There's, there's just so <laughs> many things this card does that it's just the value is... is I don't know, the value is just too much to, to ignore. Um, let's go ahead and move on to the next one. Michael, what's your next card? All right, probably one of the better cards that I have on my list. Uh, it's Cut Down. Um, and this is uh, just a, a Cut Down is one black mana, instant, destroy target creature with total power and toughness, five or less. It's really good on rates. One of the things where you see like, hey, there's a one mana removal, just like similar to... Um, what was the one, Rona's Vortex, except, you know, that's a bounce effect. This is a one mana removal of um, destroy target creature with total power, toughness, five or less. And in, in Standard especially, in sub, er, and in uh, Pioneer, you know, everything's kind of like cheap, low to the ground and stuff like that, but they have powerful effects other than their power and toughness. And I think Cut Down can uh, destroy some of those things. Yes, in Pioneer, it's competing with Fatal Push, but I can see Cut Down being a sideboard card where you have copies five and six of, of um, Fatal Push, and especially like some of those more sticky um, or really low to the ground aggressive um, decks. So like, you know, uh, Spirits, we were just speaking into it, uh, having combat research. Well, if you have, you know, Fatal, Push's cop uh, Fatal, Fatal Push copies five and six, you know, you might be able to have Lord to the ground answers for a deck that is so low to the ground. So I think I'm pretty excited about Cut Down and um, see where we can implement this in, in, in a couple of decks. This is also another one that I will be playing in my Rakdos midrange deck in Pioneer in the sideboard, if not an extra copy in the main board. The one-of copy of an extra removal spell like Blood Chief's Thirst and Strangle have been going back and forth in Pioneer Rakdos midrange for quite a while now. Now, uh -huh. that might just be replaced by Cut Down because of the instant speed. A lot of the times, also, post-board against decks like Mono Blue Tempo, um, decks like Mono Red, Mono White, uh, Mono Green to deal with Leno RLs and things like that. Um, also dealing with Boros Heroic, which Rakdos usually already has a good matchup against with all of the good removal spells. It just gets even that more efficient. Not all, you, know, you you would have a Bone Crusher Giant or maybe a Dreadbore to combat aggro decks, but now it's one mana instead of two. You would use a Dreadbore anyways on a two mana 2-2 two -two in mono red just to remove the creature. Now you can double spell that turn. You can either either Thoughtseize plus cut down or Duress plus cut down, depending on, on what kind of deck they are. You can double spell a lot more with this in your hand. A lot of the time to deal with a creature in Rakdos Bidrange against a really aggro deck 
you have to waste your whole turn just to remove something. And cut down could really improve the mana efficiency on those turns and give you an even better matchup. It's just a better it's just a better card than what you're already playing. I got a question for you guys. This is a I was excited to see this card when it was spoiled. Um, and I had like a long internal debate with myself, and that's kind of still going on right now. But we agree that this is just worse than Fatal Push and Pioneer, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, like, I, I've seen some people speculate that this might have actually been better, and I was trying to no. come up with something that this hits that Fatal Push does not, and I was like twisting myself in pretzels. Um, but I think it's fine as like the fifth or sixth copy of Fatal Push, as opposed mm -hmm. to something like Power Word Kill or Heartless Act that I've seen people bring in. Not being able to kill a Ledger Shredder that's triggered once really hurts, and it might make it not good enough for standard either, depending on how the threats shake out there. Um, but overall, I'm pretty excited to see one mana instant speed destroy effects in standard. I think I have a couple of really good examples of how cut down is really good in standard based on things that I've seen people play in early access. I'll give you some examples. Number one is the three mana red werewolf that's a 2-3. This thing kills on the spot at one mana instant speed. Before combat, the one that gives things haste. Yeah, uh, Reckless Storm Seeker. Yeah, Reckless Storm Seeker. You're talking about. Number two, Halana and Elena. Four mana trades with the one mana for cutdown. And Halana and Elena is massively played in standard. Also, another card, Brutal Cathar. Massively played. Cutdown <laughs> kills that for one mana, which, if you had Fatal Push, you would have to sacrifice something to kill that three mana card. Uh, in Pioneer, maybe, uh, I, maybe there's an Elite Spellbinder that you're. A human's opponent is going to cast. Maybe there's a. I don't. I don't know. There's not much that's played right now. I think in aggro decks to justify playing cut down over fatal push if you had the choice. So I think fatal push definitely edges cut down out. Um, some matchups a slimmer margin than other matchups, but as a fifth, sixth, seventh, or eighth, depending on how badly you want to kill early creatures, cut down's a really good one, and it's. Probably the best removal spell I've seen in a, in a while. To just quickly add on, I think sometimes we, when we try and compare, sometimes the comparison of two cards that happens in Magic, we forget that it, during comparisons, it can also be synergies. And I think the synergy actually between Fatal Push and Cutdown existing in the same deck actually gives makes one or the other way more powerful if you have copies five and six. Because now you know that hey, I might be drawing a cutdown, or I have both cutdown and fatal push, so now I can make better decisions of how to use these removal uh, spells to their maximum efficiency, because you know one and the other exists. So now you can be like, well, I can I can get um, revolt and kill this other thing where cutdown can't, and, or I can't reach uh, revolt quite yet, so cutdown's going to work perfect, and I know I'm setting myself up for another revolt turn down the line. So I think... Sometimes uh, in card evaluation, I'm just speaking to the general audience and not us here, but like in, in the times where you're making two cards compete sometimes, don't forget that sometimes they work well together. All right, let's move to the next card. It's Airball's next card. What is it? All right, the card that I'm most excited for from Dominaria United is Temporary Lockdown. It's one and two white for an enchantment. When Temporary Lockdown enters the battlefield, exile each non-land permanent with mana value two or less until Temporary Lockdown leaves the battlefield. So this is kind of like the first time we've seen a Divine Purge-esque effect in Standard and Pioneer. It's three mana effective board wipe because anything you're playing on turn three is going to have uh, is going to have less than CMC two. Uh, it's got some interesting deck building restrictions. Um, normally, decks that want this kind of effect would want to play something like Portable Hole. 
not such a great idea because your portable hole is going to get eaten up. But um, Boros Heroic hates this card. It doesn't target your Fable Top Flight. There's nothing they can do about it. They find it very hard to remove an enchantment. Um, it's Rakdos absolutely hates this card. There's very oh, yeah. few options to remove an enchantment in those colors. Uh, you basically need Feed the Swarm, um, Farika's Libation, like terrible, terrible cards to be able to remove this. And it's just a one-shot. Um, normally against that deck, you're racing to Farewell. Well, now you have Farewell on turn three, effectively. Speaking of Farewell, I was hoping that there would be a way to use this card with Farewell to, like, exile all of your Omens of the Sea and Blue-White Control in Pioneer, and then exile uh, it with Farewell so you get all the Omens back without giving your opponent's creatures. But the way Farewell is written, um, the uh, enchantments get exiled um, after the creatures uh, get exiled on that card. So you don't actually get to uh exile the creatures uh that would come back into play once temporary lockdown left play so it doesn't work quite as well as i had hoped but i still think there might be a way to break it with um cheap permanents that yorian would want to blink yeah with yeah. temporary lockdown uh, when you said rakdos you mean rakdos sacrifice over rakdos midrange right in the rakdos sacrifice deck yeah you get rid of like all the witches ovens and anvil if mm-hmm. you're playing it and every treasure token and every blood token and all of a sudden they're top decking it's just a really hard time for rakdos Rakdos Sacrifice, and honestly, I'm happy about that. Rakdos, Rakdos Sacrifice oh. is a deck that I have a bad matchup against in Rakdos Midrange, but I'm going to try to be as least biased as possible. If you're Rakdos Sacrifice, you do not like that this card was printed at all. It might even, if depending on the popularity of this card, especially since it's so good just against aggro anyway in general, your opponent can go Burning Tree Emissary, Burning Tree Emissary, Burning Tree Emissary into another 2-drop, and your opponent's all high and mighty looking really good. They have four creatures on the battlefield in turn two. You go turn three, play a land, temporary lockdown, and now they lost the game on turn three. So it's mm-hmm. it's just, it's very devastating, but it's it's going to be either a sideboard card or if you want to play temporary lockdown in your main deck, you're, it's probably because you have a, a general flaw at getting rid of early creatures and artifact, uh, small artifacts and enchantments, but it's just a perfect card for the blue light control, and I'm just not surprised, Airball, that it's your... Your top card. Yeah, I I'm not happy to see this card printed. I, <laughs> I, I bought some I bought some uh, more stuff for my Rakdos uh, sacrifice list to be finished in Pioneer. I'm also a Rakdos mid range player. I just love Rakdos. Viewers, you should your listeners, you should know this. Um, but I'm not excited that this got printed. It does make the Rakdos uh, deck way worse. Um, and uh, I think. To speak into what you were talking about, Airball, although you might have portable holes in your deck and have temporary lockdown and have um, uh, farewell, you know, I don't think, yes, they kind of compete with each other, but you know, as far as known information, that you may be drawing one or the other, and uh, you can kind of make, or you have them in your opening hand, both the, the um, portable hole and the temporary lockdown, so you can play in such a way that, you know, you're slowing them down, but you know that you're going to take care of you know, they're bigger things with temporary lockdown and they can get like, oh, sure, get your Cauldron Familiar back. You're not getting your ovens or anything else back. Like, and a Cauldron Familiar on its own doesn't really do much. So I think temporary lockdown is going to be really rough. I I want to... Mm, it's really hard to think in Pioneer if this is... I know it's 100% a cyborg card. It's hard to think if it can go main right away uh, with everything that's going on in Pioneer. But I know it's it's a super strong, 100%, I can say it's a super strong uh, cyborg kind card um it's even probably pretty good in the against mono green because they have a lot of like the one mana 
like elves and two mana like the wolf den thing and so you can kind of like you know they can be jamming out mono green can be jamming out and doing other things and the music stops when you play temporary lockdown so we'll see if if it'll work there i'm not i'm not quite sure about that i have a question about temporary lockdown does it make you rebuild your deck slightly and not play portable hole at all i can't imagine no i don't think so um not unless we get another one mana option like it depends i think the answer to your question is it depends on how good march is in the format like if march of otherworldly light can hit enough things and four copies of it is enough to deal with the threats that you're expecting to see um then that's one thing if you must play portable hole in order to not get run over by turn two then you probably can't afford to put this in your main deck so like when michael was talking about mono green earlier right um, and he was, he was saying that um, this hits all their elves. It does, but it kind of hits it after they've been used, right? Yeah. So imagine you're on the play That's with true. this card. Opponents played Land War Elves on turn one. Turn two, they play Old Growth Troll, which doesn't get hit by this. Mm-hmm. Now you're exiling a single Land War Elf. Does that feel okay? Or would you have rather had the portable hole in your opening hand to be able to hit the Land War Elf on turn one? Yeah. Depends on the meta. I think, I, you'd rather I think that's why. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, I think this is why it makes it more of a, of a sideboard card for me, because you don't know your every matchup is going to line up well against Temporary Lockdown. Um, but you know that when you are bringing it from the sideboard, you're just like, you're so happy. Like, I also have played Control in my in my Magic career, and I know things, how, how some of these cards work, and I, I'm a happy camper if I'm, if I'm sliding into Temporary Lockdown into a matchup. I'd be like, this is almost like a free win, especially if, like, <laughs> You can somehow have like three of these in your sideboard. You're like, oh, this this game's over. Like, I don't know how they survive me casting this once. Look at that confidence. That's the confidence you get when you play Temporary Lockdown. All right, moving on to the next card. It's mine. It's all right. You guessed it, Liliana of the Veil. That's the only card I can put above Sarah Paragon. It's a three mana, three loyalty planeswalker. It's probably it's one of the most iconic planeswalkers to ever exist. Plus one, each player discards a card. Minus two, target player sacrifices a creature. I did target myself today for game. Target myself, sacrifice a creature. I had me to massacre on board, and my opponent died. Uh, separate all permanents. Target player controls into two piles for the minus six. That player sacrifices all permanents in the pile of their choice. Uh, a lot of people I heard saying, oh, this card's not going to be as good in standard because standard's not as efficient, and would you rather play this or, like, another three drop, and you're not going to be able to protect this easy enough because it's not as good one and two, two one and two mana creatures to protect Liliana. I have some news to break to you all. Liliana is still absolutely busted. Uh, my opponent played a Graveyard Trespasser on turn three. I played Liliana the Veil. I minus. I targeted them, and it felt super good. My opponent then proceeded to scoop the game after they couldn't deal with Liliana on the next turn. I just had one creature and Liliana on the board. My opponent decided that that was enough to scoop the game. Uh, it's super, super valuable. Not only that, but there's um, there's a lot of cards that love being in the graveyard in this format, especially some that Michael Critz has mentioned already. Also, things that can trigger off of discarding, like the Riven Man that Michael Kritz have said already. But not only that, but there's a lot of graveyard cards, like you have said, Airball, Squee likes to be in the graveyard. Those are just a lot of cards that like to be in the graveyard, um, either to bring back with Sarah Paragon or to get value by themselves. So it makes Liliana that much more playable. I would say if there's not as many graveyard cards in the format, it would make Liliana less playable. But I mean, it's Liliana of the Veil. What can I say? I mean, I. It's, it's Liliana of the Veil. I, I, I think that's actually the most accurate thing to say about it, is it? it's Liliana. <laughs> it's hard to argue with that. I, yeah, it's, it's hard to argue with it. 
Uh, I think I'm not the standard expert. Uh, it's been a little bit, I might have to fire it up at some point. But I think it's hard to really evaluate also in Pioneer of where we get to see this uh, have play. I know for sure that it probably goes into a Grease Fang deck. As far as the other Rakdos uh, cards or any decks that want to be uh, playing any card with black black in, in the uh, mana cost, um, it's really hard to figure out where it slots in nicely because, um, yeah, you're both discarding and is it have enough value to do what you want it to do. There's definitely certain decks that don't care if they have to discard stuff, which why I feel like in Pioneer there's only like one Crocs's run in the main sometimes because you know you you tell a, a Grease Fang deck to discard they're like sick yeah or you tell you know the Phoenix deck to discard and they're like sick okay yeah like you know so I think in Pioneer it's hard to uh figure out but you said in standard you're having a blast and I hope that's the case. I think in Pioneer, it it makes the Rakdos deck become more efficient than it already is because they're trying to get rid of their hand before they play Liliana. And I think it actually reduces the number of Chandra Torture Defiance in the deck. It reduces the number of Kalidus in the deck. It reduces the number of... I think it reduces the number of Graveyard Trespasser in the deck. It might become a sideboard card. I know for me, when I was building my, my new Rakdos midrange deck in Pioneer, I completely took Graveyard Trespasser out of my main deck. And I'm huh. citing two copies of it. Because I think I'd rather play Liliana than play a Graveyard Trespasser in the main deck, even though it's really, really strong, Graveyard Trespasser is. Um, that's just how highly I think of Liliana. And I'm also, uh, I also wouldn't be surprised if people started playing uh, two and three Croxas now. Probably not three, but going more to two. I've seen a lot of lists play one. I currently play one. I wouldn't be surprised if that went to two. But I'm also playing a card in my Rakdos deck right now, Ox of Agonis, that... Um, mm -hmm. is also discardable by Liliana, and um, since I will be fueling my graveyard more often than the current builds before Liliana comes out, um, it is even more likely that I can cast Oxavaganus back out of my graveyard having uh, eight cards in there to draw three cards off the top of my deck. So there's... Uh, Rakdos already wants to be one-for-one-ing your opponent, and Liliana's the queen of one-for-ones. Wild to me to hear that you're taking out Graveyard Trespassers for Liliana. Um, I, I was, I've never played a format where Liliana was legal, and I spent a long time looking at this card and thinking, you know what, I don't think this actually makes the cut in Pioneer. I, I couldn't imagine playing this over Graveyard Trespasser, which is just always a good proactive threat. Um, the Edict is pretty cool. Getting around like protection spells and stuff like that is nice. Um, but each player discarding a card only really... It's only really good if you, there are cards that you actively want to discard and that the opponent can't deal with. And Pioneer is so, so focused on making sure that you can't get into the like you can't use your graveyard effectively, especially after board. But this card doesn't excite me too much. I think if it does have a home for me, it would be in like a Grease Fang deck that really needs a post board option to deal with control decks. That still fuels the the overall game plan. So like Liliana puts Parhelion in the bin, yes, but it also sticks on the board. So now you need to deal with the graveyard and the Planeswalker. Yeah, I think, I, yeah, I, I agree. Just to, just to quickly add on to, and I want to reiterate for the listeners, like, I think what you're talking about, Jane, is correct about it's almost a fundamental change of what you're trying to do to Rakdos mid and changing it up for Oxalogonus, putting in another Kroxa. It becomes a different deck. Like, it's still Rakdos midrange, but it becomes a different feeling deck than it originally has. Mm -hmm. And I think when you do things like that and add Liliana, I think it makes it better. So I think... People are saying it's just a, a, a nice slot in for where Rakdos mid-range exists now. I think that's not so correct, but I think what you're speaking into is the move. 
Yeah, when, when I was building, the, when I was rebuilding the deck, I was thinking to myself, okay, well, this is just has to be fundamentally a different deck. It, it has to be a lot more efficient. You can't, you can't play Liliana the Veil on three and be discarding your four drop. Like that's just not how this works, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I did trim on some of my four drops, but moving on to your next card, your last card, your number one. What is it, Michael Kritz? So it's Stronghold Arena. I know it's it's maybe not as powerful as some of the other. Uh, number ones for the uh, other folks on the podcast, but I just kind of like this type of card. Um, it's it's Stronghold Arena's one and a black is an enchantment. It has kicker, green, or and or a red. Uh, when this card enters the battlefield, you gain three life for each time it was kicked. And then whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, you may reveal the top card of your library. Put it into your hand. If you do, uh, you lose life equal to its mana value. So in the older formats, they have this this uh a, a card called bob but his name is uh dark what is confidant? his name he, dark confidant there it is and it has a similar effect of you know um drawing cards from the top of your deck and losing life equal to its mana value and this is an enchantment uh it's also similar to phyrexia arena if you're familiar with that card um the only caveat is you do have to deal combat damage to your opponent but um I do like the sense of card advantage it gives you, and it's an enchantment, so it's not like a creature that it can be easily removed. It's only two, uh, one in a black, and it might not necessarily go into any deck that's like an Abzan or a Golgari or an Orzhov deck. It might just go into black plus another color and still be able to hold water. So I'm interested. I, I hope that this does see play somewhere. Because uh, if so, it's just it, it, it's just a sweet card. It's just things that I like. I kind of like doing. So one thing I want to mention about this card is yes, it's probably a worse dark confidant, right? But it's also a lot yeah. harder to interact with. It's not a creature. Mm -hmm. You can't just cut down this, right? You can't fatal push it, right? It's not a creature. It, it's it's actually a lot harder. It's harder to deal with the specific card. Yes, you can deal with the other creatures, so they can't deal combat damage, which is a lot easier to do. But it's a little harder to get around this card, especially when your opponent's going really wide. Imagine you're playing blue-eye control, <clears throat> airball, um, and your and your opponent has a, a couple of maybe like a little a couple one ones. Like now you have to actually fear the one ones, or else your opponent's going to draw a card. Or you could just march up with a worldly light this card. But if you're you have to devote resources into killing something that's not a creature if you want to get rid of it, or just try to remove everything, which I think is a lot harder to do. Uh, I think this card's worse than Dark Confidant, of course. It doesn't have power and toughness, but it's a little bit harder to get rid of unless you want to get rid of every single one of your opponent's creatures. And then this Inspire Out of Control. Um, the other thing about this card that I like is that it's massive life gain. Six life is incredibly a lot. And yes, that's not perfect English, but it's incredibly a lot of life. Sure. Six mana. I mean, yeah, this card's four mana to do to gain six life. But if you're in a racing situation, maybe with another aggro deck, maybe it's mono red, maybe it's mono white. And um, you have a, you have a couple creatures, a few creatures on board, and they attack you. And you have Stronghold Arena in your hand. Sure, you, yeah, you take the damage. But then you play this card for four mana. You gain six life, and you hit them, and you draw a card, which is like it's a pretty good swing. I I, I think I like that card. I, I'm, I'll definitely be experimenting with this. Uh, what do you think, Airball? Yeah, this card kind of stretches my brain a little bit. Like you, I can definitely imagine being on the draw against this opponent. Plays a one drop. I play a tap land. They play this turn two. And they get in and get to draw the card immediately. And that's pretty scary. Um, what I'm trying to figure out is whether or not I'm happy that they're doing that rather than playing a two-drop to the board. 
I'm one, I think if this has a home, it would be in like some sort of Rakdos aggro deck. Um, you just ignore the life gain kicker, who cares? Uh, but you're just playing like hasty threats with this on the board and drawing cards over and over again. If the opponent can't deal with the enchantment itself, then it's like a pretty good grindy post sideboard option against control. Right. Uh, there are a lot of options to get rid of this, though. There's much of the Otherworldly Light, and there's also Portable Hole that gets rid of this. There's also Temporary Lockdown that gets rid of this. So Temporary Lockdown is going to be a card that will that will be a major player. So does that mean that you should that Stronghold Arena doesn't see play because of the amount of play the Temporary Lockdown has on the meta? We'll see what the meta shapes out shapes out with, but it's definitely going to be something that you're kind of forced to deal with, uh, or else your opponent will keep getting that card advantage against you. Mm-hmm. And if Golgari midrange ever becomes a thing in Pioneer, because uh, it's it's so close, like this, I feel like this card definitely makes the cut at some point if it if ever gains a critical mass of actually being a a good playable deck in Pioneer. Because this, you know, you're you get to like you said, if if it's turn four, you get to gain all that life additionally on top of gaining or getting a card on top of it. I think that's a really good effect. And I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about that actually a little bit more the uh, the impact of life gain on standard. But let's go ahead and move out of the main phase, but really fast. I do want to give a little bit of an honorable mention to painlands. We didn't mention those in our top fifteen, but the painlands are a great way to fill out your mana bases and play maybe a Liliana in your deck that's double black and also playing that Sarah Paragon that's double white in your deck that you usually don't get to do in standard. How often do you really get to play a double white spell on turn three and a double black spell on turn four in standard? The mana bases usually aren't that good. Now the mana bases are a little bit better, but there's a price to pay with that with that life that you have to take off the painlands. Uh what do you feel about those airball? Yeah, I think the painlands are really important. We haven't had a good untapped land um, a untapped dual land on turn one or two, which has really crippled a lot of the multicolor aggro decks. It's no coincidence that the best aggro decks in standard have been mono red, mono green, mono white, because the mana base just, just haven't supported that until now. Hopefully the pain lands allow people to branch out and make more variety in terms of their aggro decks. Yeah. Um, I like the inclusion of the pain lands. I think uh, something to for the listeners to look out for is uh, pain lands are nice, and yes, they fix your mana, but I think it heightens the skill cap on the deck that you are playing. Um, and it's hard to evaluate because what you need to do after you play a couple games is figure out how much times you've tapped your land for that, that colored mana that you needed and figure out if that's what killed you in a game. And I think it's really hard to um, figure that out or notice it um, while you're playing the game and you have to kind of um, play back the game in your head. Um, I... This season, playing the RCQs, I had some teammates who played different sorts of pain lands, and they they walked the games back in their head, and they found out that the pain land actually cost them the game. So, just a thing to look out for. But I'm very happy that there's more versatility in mana bases uh, in in these formats that it allows for. Yep, and that that gives us a good segue into the, one of the things I wanted to talk about towards the end here is. Uh, my experience in the early access event today. You heard me uh, mention it here and there earlier on in the podcast today, but I wanted to uh, highlight a a few cards that were better than I thought and also highlight a few cards that are worse than I thought. Uh, I'll go ahead and start off with the better than I thought, and that is any life gain on a different, that's stapled onto a different card. Pain lands cost a lot of life, and there's another fast land that's a pain land as well. Anytime you tap it, 
cards like Meat Hook Massacre, Liaza, Wandering Emperor, Sarah Paragon with Lifelink that we already mentioned. Archangel of Wrath is a new card that we haven't mentioned yet. It's a four mana three four with kicker, and you can when you kick it, you can deal two damage to any target based on the number of times that you kick it, and you can kick it twice. So that's four damage gaining four life. I think these cards are very, very important, and this type of effect stapled onto a different card are way better than I originally thought. I took so much life from my land today, and it increased the value of Meat Hook Massacre and these other cards with incidental life gain slash lifelink that are the life gains harder to interact with. Lifelink on a ground creature is a little bit easier to interact with, with uh, maybe blocking it or, or in sacrificing it after you block to stop the life gain. But having a life gain like on a flyer or through an enchantment, something like that, is very, very valuable. Um, so I, would, I did want to mention that. Another card that I thought was that performed better than I thought it was would was Braids Arisen Nightmare. At the end step, you can sacrifice a permanent. Your opponent can choose to sacrifice the permanent of the same type. If they don't or can't, they lose two life and you draw a card. There's a lot of effects that, especially with Fable of the Mirror Breaker, the reflection of Kiki-Jiki side, when something gets sacrificed at the end step, or when something uh, gets a sacrifice at the end step, maybe like a Blitz trigger or something from your um, from your underdog, that you sacrifice that card anyways, and your opponent gets to take two life and you draw a card. I didn't think that was going to be a lot better in practice, or on paper, than it was in practice, but it overperformed for me. Uh, what do you guys think of Braids, actually? Yeah, I haven't had the opportunity to play with it. Um, I didn't get to play the early access event today, like you special people. Uh, <laughs> I have a daytime job. But um, yeah, I didn't think of the interaction between that and Tenacious Underdog. Um, that's a cool one. Uh, I'll have to try it out. Yeah, uh, I I only evaluate Braids from the Pioneer perspective because I mostly just play Pioneer, and so it didn't seem powerful enough there. But with what you're saying uh, that's happening to you in Standard, I think it might need some reevaluation in, in Pioneer as well, figure out if... Um, it's good enough to perform there based on what you're saying because there are some effects in, in Pioneer that uh, they're going to these cards, these creatures, or whatever card that you're playing is going to go away anyway. And so you getting mana or card advantage off on the top of that might be good enough to push it good enough for Pioneer. So, also, uh, I mean, yeah, for, sorry, I'm impressed. In, in Pioneer, you play a Braids and you sacrifice a Cauldron Familiar, and your opponent has to sacrifice a creature, or you draw a card and they take two life. Not only are you enacting your game plan of them taking more life, but you're also drawing more cards and keeping the cards flowing. Uh, I, I think it's it's just better than I originally thought. Uh, moving on to the next card I think was is better uh, in practice than it was on paper for me is Shivan Devastator. This is the X and a red flying haste dragon. This thing killed me two games in a row, and it was my first two games that I played in early access. Mm -hmm. uh, this thing was a 3-3. Three, three, it was a 6-6. Six, six, it, was, it was pumped by... It was pumped by a uh, Halana and Elena. It can be played in almost every deck. All you need is one single red mana to play this as a Haste Flyer. And uh, when you think about Haste Flyer, um, you think like Goldspan Dragon or like Glorybringer, like those type cards. I don't think it's as good as those, but when your opponent's top decking and you know they're playing red, you better watch out for that 11-11 Dragon. So <laughs> it's just, it was a lot more powerful in practice than I originally thought it would be. I was going to say, I think people had a hard time evaluating it because it wants to slot into mono red decks. And mono de red decks, they're the most powerful thing that you can be doing on curve, generally, if it's allowed to curve out. And it has a hard time not playing on curve if it can't completely fill out and use its mana every turn, use all of its mana. Shivan Devastator does that perfectly, and it's a haste threat, and it can be whatever power you cast it at. So 
I think it's weird that some people didn't evaluate it correctly, but I knew it was going to be a superstar just because it's it's always impactful when it comes down and it's doing exactly what Red wants to do. Yeah, remember how good Stone Coil Serpent turned out to be? Like everyone looked at that card and just said it's kind of meh, but the <laughs> fact that you could play Stone Coil Serpent literally anywhere in your curve made it gas. And I didn't have haste. And it didn't have haste. Yeah, this team's even better. <laughs> or flying. <laughs> yeah. Flying. Uh, yeah, Shivan Devastator, very good. Uh, and the last one that impressed me was Jaya Fiery Negotiator. We already talked about it today, so you already know what it does. But um, this card, every single time I minused it, it killed the creature I wanted it to kill. Um, of course, you would play it in a, a, a deck that already has creatures to attack with. You're playing Tenacious Underdog in your deck. You're, maybe you're playing the Blood Tithe Harvester. Maybe already you're playing the Fable of the Mirror Breaker already. You have creatures to attack with. Uh, and that's just uh, arguably the worst part about this card. The card advantage was very uh, was was very good, and then the plus one um, blocker was very good. And also Jaya ultimates fairly quickly. All you all you, and, and it and it makes your board pretty wide if you keep plussing. So your opponent has to respect it. It just overperformed for me, and I'm excited to play with this card. Moving on to the cards that are worse than I thought. Uh, Defiler of Vigor. I really thought the Defilers were gonna be really good. Defiler of Vigor, I thought was the best one. It's the five mana six six trample that makes your uh, that makes your one green Phyrexian mana. They lose they lose the green mana, and you can pay two life instead of paying the green. And also, every time you cast a creature spell, and you put a plus one plus one counter on all of your creatures, which seems really good on paper, right? Seems absolutely broken, but in practice, this this got played on turn five, if not ever cast at all in the green deck, and it got removed on the spot when it did get cast. It's really hard to play another creature after you play a five drop in a green deck. Uh, and it doesn't have haste. It doesn't in, it doesn't have an into the battlefield trigger. So either this either this dies or you're probably overkilling anyway. It is a six six trample, but a lot of green decks that I saw actually weren't playing this card in the early access and they were playing the uh, four mana four four haste uh, trample green card over this card. So uh, definitely underperformed and wasn't played as much as I thought it would. I thought this would be a very absolutely insane card, but it just was a little bit worse than I thought. So. I wonder if this is like a reasonable replacement for like Pelucranos in the Mono Green Devotion decks in Pioneer, though. Like it's a hit off Storm the Festival, and it has it does the important job of like making your elves relevant in the late game. Like they're at, like if you put the counters on all your elves that you cast in the early game, now they're three threes attacking. Uh, they're not just you know dead weight on the board anymore. I think it might have a place there, but you're right. In standard, I, I don't see how it's going to play well. Moving on to the second one that I thought was worse than I thought, Thran Portal. This is the fast land that uh, comes into play untapped as long as there are uh, two or fewer other lands than it. Unlike the pain lands that we already talked about that can actually tap for colorless and not have you pay the life, this pays the life every single time you tap it for the rest of the game. Yes, in maybe like a three or four color deck, you would want like one or two copies of this. Or maybe if your mana base is really, really, I would say, I guess convoluted with different uh, two mana cards, three mana cards, four mana cards, just very expensive cards. You'd want so many colors in your deck. I don't think it's worth playing this. Um, the I think I've taken like five or six life from this card in the game. And I, I had like two of them on board. I could take 12 life in a game. Every single time you tap this card, you take a life, and you really have to take that into account. Yeah, seems bad. <laughs> I mean, if you if you have to, you have to, but it's almost like a mana confluence type card. You know, you you play like one of it. Um, moving on to Phoenix Chick. This is a card that had a lot of hype coming into the format, and it really under underperformed 
today in my early access. Maybe it's because I played against it only two or three times, but it was a one-mana 1-1 one, one flying haste and did nothing else. Uh, there's a lot of Graveyard Trespasser and Graveyard Exile in the format that will just incidentally exile this, uh, and a lot of decks you can't really just freely attack with three or more creatures into their already established board, unless they're playing like hard control. So maybe this is just goes to the sideboard against control for when you attack them and you don't really care if they have a Wandering Emperor because you can you'll all you'll also have the Phoenix Chick and then you'll have you won't have to worry about your three attackers getting Wandering Emperored. Your Phoenix Chick will get Emperored anyway. So maybe it has some staying power against that, but other but otherwise it seemed pretty medium to me. I I'm, I, I think you both agree by nodding your head. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, yeah. I think I think it's because for the things you explained, and also if it wasn't for the things you explained, the minute you have a, a Phoenix trick into uh, the board, the jig is up. Like, you know, they're always going to be counting your board for three creatures all the time, and so if you know, it doesn't cost a lot to try and you know reduce your opponent's uh, creatures from three creatures to two creatures. And if there's a benefit of doing so to stop another creature from coming in, your opponent's going to take that every time. So, uh, you know, on top of the things that you mentioned, I, I think Phoenix Chick was going to always underperform because attacking three creatures is a lot. Yeah, I think, I think uh, to your point, your control opponent wants to get rid of your creatures anyway. Now they have an extra incentive to. <laughs> um, all right, that's it for the cards that I think are worse than I thought. Let me know... Uh, in the YouTube comments here, if you're watching this from YouTube or if you are on any streaming platform, if you um, write down in the comments what you think of these cards. But anyways, let's go ahead and move on to uh, the end step. And I want to give us the opportunity to say a little bit of what's on our mind, kind of let loose, get get to know us if you made it this far. Thank you very much. Consider subscribing if you would like to hear more of us. Let's get on your soapbox a little bit. Talk about what you want to talk about. I'll start with you, Airball. Okay, so let's get into a rant that I usually dust off about this time of year. I know we've been talking about all the cards that we're excited about for the new format, but the truth is that rotation and new and new sets coming out are my least favorite time of year when it comes to magic. In chess, the knight moves the same way it always has for the last thousand years. They haven't been adding an extra card to poker decks that are better than aces. I like knowing what my decks do, and I like being able to pilot them well, and I don't like having all that knowledge reset every few months, and that's what drives me crazy about formats like Standard. The Pioneer has been giving me a good outlet for things like that, but it, it just drives me nuts when I when there's a card that the opponent plays that I didn't know existed that I lose because, that I lose to. Yeah, I think for my soapbox thing is, I'm a, like I, I mentioned a lot, I'm a Rakdos player, Seems like Jane uh, does that as, as well. But I feel, you know, if, if you compare me and, and Jane, he's more of a five-color uh, guy. But I digress. He's been playing some Rakdos. He's been joining the gang gang, so I appreciate. But the thing I don't like is when you're playing against an opponent and you're discarding and answering their threats and you're one for wanting them, and your opponent gets in a huge huff, starts getting irate, starts, like, putting all that ire towards you. We're playing a game of Magic. And then oftentimes your opponent will top deck and then just windmill slam or, like, win the game. And they forget along the way that they were just like huffing and puffing. So that's kind of my rant. And, and what I want you listeners to walk away from is play your games of magic. Think about your outs. Don't get even that mind frame because that stops you also sometimes from seeing your out. But it also is nasty for the other player that you're playing against. So keep it professional. Yes, you're getting one for one. But a lot of the times these decks don't operate well when you have a good top deck. So uh, just stay in the moment. Play, play, be respectful, and and, and play at, a, at a, a good level of game, and, and play to your outs. And I think everything's going to be okay, and you don't have to be nasty 
while that's happening. So I think that's my rant for this week. Yeah, especially after listening to that, you're already a better Magic player, right? After listening to Michael and Airball talk, you're, you're, I mean, you're already, you're already a better Magic player. And if you think you'll be a better, better Magic player by listening to this podcast, consider subscribing, consider following, and I will see, we will see you in the next episode. We're going to try to get these out every single Monday after all the tournaments and things have finished over the weekend and give you some swift updates and let you hear what's on our mind from time to time. That's all for us. And I'll see you in the top eight. Goodbye. See you guys.